Amen. Amen. Thank you. Guys, now is not the time to look around and be in despair or be sad. We've all been here before. All of the OG members, we've seen this game. We've seen this game before. This is a repeat movie for us. Been here, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it. We will live through this like we've lived through every other move the Passion Community Church has made, and we will come out stronger in the end because God is faithful to us, because we are faithful to God. And how are we faithful to God? By following His commandments, and one of those is and offer and you should not stop doing that make sure you are still faithful to God even in the low dark times because that is how he pulls us out of them so tithes and offerings here at Passion Community Church we have a ton of ways to give we've got the tithing well in the back we've got passioncommunitychurch.com backslash give Set it up however you want, whatever you're comfortable with. Give whatever you are comfortable with. Just make sure you are doing it faithfully. Amen? Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. Even though we were delivered a kind of a blow to us today, right? We got some news that we didn't want to hear. We like being here at Camp Carl. It's a nice place. Gorgeous place. Good acoustics. There's air conditioning. They clear the lot for us. It's awesome you have decided this isn't the place for us so we have to move and we have to do it because you've told us to we have to do it faithfully and we have to do it with a glad cheerful heart and sometimes that's hard but father god i make you a promise right now that i am not going to break my faith in you and i hope that everybody else here hears that cry hears that prayer and follows me as well father bless our tithes and offerings multiply them so that even though we are facing a challenge, we can still continue to do the work that you've set before us. We ask this all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. That's church right there. Yeah, I was laughing. We were sitting over here and and poor Jay is just sitting over here in in the corner just being all patient just just waiting for his moment. Jay serves us so safely, uh, serves so faithfully here as kind of our, our MC, our master of ceremonies, and collects the offering. And you just sit there, you can tell he's ready to go. And then pastor comes up and, and speaks. And then he's ready to go. And then we sing another song. And then he's ready to go. And then our other pastor, Chaz, speaks. It was just funny. It was funny to watch him. But wow, I, Jay, you don't know how to go after that, but I don't. I don't know how to go after that. That's, uh, that's going to be something to follow up on. Well, I hope uh, everyone's comfortable because I was figuring, you know, ugh, like we usually have like two hours worth of church. So I was kind of sitting there thinking like, man, I got to better preach like an hour and a half because <laughs> I'm just kidding. If anyone ever knows me, I don't think I've ever spoken an hour and a half in that one time. So we'll make this, we'll make this. Short, but good, right? So for the past couple weeks, we've been going over a book in our home group classes, and I I know what everyone's thinking right now, like, dude, you can read? I didn't know that. Yes, I can read, and yes, we have audiobooks now. So there's no reason for anybody not to be coming to home group. Uh, But we've been going over T.J. Keller's books uh, called Counterfeit God. Uh, And basically what this is about, it's about... um, how we create idols in our life, right? And along with some really great snacks, some really great fellowship and conversation, we actually do have really good, really good, awesome conversation with some great insights and revelation pertaining to the idea of idol worship. And, uh, yeah, I believe at this time that God's been calling me just to share some of this because we have our home group in that room over there. And not this many people would fit in that room over there. So that means there's not enough people going to our home group, which means not enough people is hearing what God is speaking to our church today. So this idea of idol worship, worshiping a a false god, it's not new in regards to human history. As As a matter of fact, 
all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see many stories of even the most monumental leaders from the, from the stories, they get caught up and they succumb to idol worship. They succumb to the trap that is idol worship. And we're going to take a look at a few of these examples. But first, we need to make sure we understand what idolatry is and why it is so detrimental to us. So if you go to the great school of Google and uh, you type in idol, it gives you a, a pretty decent definition. And just like any word in the English meaning, it has two definitions. Um, but the first one is an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship. So we're talking about little trinkets. Uh, I, I think of uh, the big statues of Buddha. Buddha, 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 rocking everywhere with this big Buddha belly, how they can worship these different trinkets, these different idols. But the second definition is a person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. A person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. And this definition is kind of something that I want to I wanna play on here for a second. Because the idea of idols in the, the past, I guess it's really been like 20, 20, 20 years or so, has completely overwhelmed popular culture today. Everywhere you turn, there's an ad of some famous person telling them, you have to buy my thing, right? Michael Jordan has his shoes. You have um, LeBron has his shoes. Um, I guess I, celebrities like shoes, I guess. That's, I don't really understand it. But everywhere you go... Um, look, the sh- uh, Shaq has his, uh, his Hanes t-shirts, right? Everywhere we go, there's somebody telling us, you need to buy this product, not because it's a good product, not because it's going to last long, not because it's going to better your life, but simply because Shaq wears these t-shirts. So you should wear these t-shirts too. People feel the need to buy brands owned by famous celebrities and try to imitate their dress and uh, try to... Um, be just like these celebrities, these influencers in our lives. The idea of a YouTube influencer or a social media influencer. You ask any kid, you know, under the age of fifth grade, under the age of 12, what they want to be like when they grow up, and probably about 50% of them are going to tell you they want to be a YouTube influencer. They want to be a famous streamer. They want to be a famous gamer. These are all different concepts that simply didn't exist even 10 years ago because of how far technology has let us get. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, it's completely fine to own nice things, right? You can, you can wear the Jordans. I prefer no-name $20 boots because they're just going to get covered with mud and horse poop anyway. You can own nice things. You can enjoy the finer things in life. My wife will tell you my weakness is bougie sunglasses, uh, I like nice sunglasses. They make my eyes feel good. I think they make me look cool. But I don't worship these sunglasses, right? I don't, you know, wear them on my face and I don't sit here and go, oh, powerful sunglasses. Thank you for protecting me from the UV rays. No, I don't worship them. And it's even okay to look up to different people. You know, for example, my dad, my mom, my grandma, my grandpa, I looked up to these people. You know, this idea of an idol, you idolize somebody. It's okay to look up to different people. It's okay to look up to the right celebrities. Oh, there's a dog. Where's he at? I want to pet him. (laughs) It's okay to even look up to different celebrities. I look up to David Crowder, right? Famous worship leader. But I don't idolize him. I don't bow down to David Crowder. I, I maybe bow down to his beard, but that doesn't count, right? But there is such a fine line between enjoying the nice things and looking up to people and worshiping them as idols. And luckily for us, that fine line is defined pretty definitively in the Ten Commandments. It's the first commandment, as a matter of fact. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So he's establishing who he is and what he does. The first rule that he gives to the people, the 
first rule, the number one, usually that's, usually you will read at least the first rule says, you shall have no other gods before me. There it is right there. Plain and simple, you shall have no gods before me. The Lord goes on to tell us why this is, and he reveals to us that he's a jealous God. He is the one who created us, therefore only he alone is worthy of our worship. But for some reason, even with such simple directions as do not have a God before me, we still manage to mess it up. One of the more notable stories of scripture about idol worship uh, is in 1 Kings 18, um, and this is the the prophets of Baal, and I'm kind of going to I'm not going to read word for word. I'm going to give you the the Corey version, if you will. But I absolutely encourage you when you get home, uh, flip that Bible open to 1 Kings 18 and and take a look. But the Corey version is basically this. This story starts off just like so many stories of the Old Testament. The Israelis are in a little bit of trouble. You see, they started worshiping this God. And when I say God, that's little G God, not big G God, huge difference there, um, called uh, Baal, who was essentially, he was the the god of fertility. So if you wanted a baby, if you wanted your crops to grow, if you wanted it to rain, you would make sacrifices and you would worship Baal. But see, God did not like this, because we know that God's a jealous God, right? He wants only us to worship him. So God sends old Elijah to straighten out the people of Israel. So Elijah goes and him and Ahab gather all the people of Israel so they can have kind of a holy showdown between God, big G God, the Lord, and Baal. And they're going to settle it once for all and they're going to see who the true God is of this world. So Elijah being the only prophet... Sorry. Elijah being the only prophet left in Israel of the true Lord um, issues a challenge to the 450-something prophets of Baal who had gathered. Elijah's challenge is that there would be two bulls offered up as a burnt offering. They would prepare the altar as they're supposed to do and, and all that fun stuff, but they would not touch fire to it. So they wouldn't physically put fire to the burnt offering. And whoever's God would light the wood would be revered as the true God. So the prophets of Baal started first. They got up really early in the morning. Um, They built their bonfire with their burnt offering on top of it. If you don't know what a burnt offering was, it was was like a slab of meat they would literally burn as a sacrifice to a God. Uh, So they they had their altar ready. They built the altar in the name of Baal. And they began crying out um, for their God to light the wood. They're, they're sitting there, they're making this huge ordeal, crying out, oh, ball, come down, light this, light this on fire, light this on fire. But nothing happened. This is my favorite part of the story. Uh, Elijah, around noon, so it was about noon o'clock, he begins to mock these prophets of Baal. And, and, and I, I love it. And this is how I picture it going down. Like, I know they didn't have, like, folding campfire chairs like that but I picture like Elijah just like reclined back in his like camping chair and he starts shouting out cry louder for he is a god either he's thinking or maybe he's relieving himself maybe he's just busy right now so Elijah is 100% mocking these people saying hey maybe your god's going to the bathroom like he just he just isn't ready yet so the prophets of all, they begin to cry out louder, and they actually, they start um, self-mutilating themselves, and there's, at this point, there's um, blood flowing everywhere because they're cutting themselves, trying to get their God to light their bonfire. Elijah, I can just picture him at this point laughing, saying, perhaps your God is traveling somewhere, or maybe he's taking a nap and needs to be woken up. But how many know that the true God doesn't need to take naps? And that's God with a capital G, not a little g. So this went on for hours until finally Elijah, he kind of had enough of it. And he said, all right, we're going to calm all this down. And he gets up and uh, he tells Ahab, hold my beverage. We're about, to, we're about to do this. 
And uh, he gets up and he, he starts preparing the offering. He builds an altar in the name of the Lord. He stacks up his wood real nice, like, the, like, a, like a boy scout making his fire, like the nice teepee, not me making a fire, just throwing stuff on there and going to find some gasoline. Uh, and he, he builds it up real nice uh, in the name of the Lord. And then he did something strange. You see, Elijah grabs these four jars of water. And he has them dumped on the fire. Now, I don't know if anybody has ever tried to light a fire. I have a hard enough doing it myself when the wood is dry. Nonetheless, when you're about to dump four jars full of water. And these were good-sized jars. These weren't like little mason jars. They were like the giant decorative mason jars that you get at Hobby Lobby, right? And he does this not once, not twice, but three times he dumps these four jars of water on this wood, completely drenching it. Uh, the, the ground was soaked, and there was no way that you were going to get this fire to light. But then when the time is right, Elijah says, answer me, God, so that these people may know that you are God. And just like that, that entire burn pile was engulfed in flames, and the offering was completely destroyed, completely uh, burnt. And all the people began to worship the true Lord. And after all that, all the prophets of Baal were slaughtered, just kind of proving that idol worship is bad for your health. See, we can sit back and we think, like, that's a a pretty simple, clear-cut example. Like, yeah, I'm not going to offer, I'm not going to go worship some Baal somewhere. That's that's such a silly name. I'm not going to worship that God. But the problem that we run into is idolatry is more than just worshiping a statue or some make-believe God. As a matter of fact, today, most idols are not in the form of physical things. Idols in our lives are often what would be considered normal under today's terms. Culture today would tell us that it's okay to put God on the back burner to further your career. Culture today would tell you that it's okay to skip church on Sunday to mow your lawn. After all, your neighbor mowed his lawn yesterday. You can't fall behind. You've got to mow your lawn now, right? Your neighbor across the street, he's putting up his Halloween decorations. So I got to put up my Halloween decorations now. I can't go to church. I got to spend all this time trying to outdo my neighbors. Culture today tells us that you don't need to read your Bible and pray every day. After all, isn't it more important to go to your kid's football game? Or your kid's dance recital. Family's important, right? Even culture today would say, I don't have time to take my wife on a date. I have to lead this ministry group at the church. You see, even church can become an idol in our lives if we're not too careful. Men, if you're listening today and you're active in ministry somehow, that's awesome. That's great. But your first ministry you are called to be is as a leader to your family. If you are advancing your ministry at the cost of your family and your family is falling behind, you're not doing that ministry right. You see, culture today has everything so bass-ackwards as no wonder that the enemy has been able to secure such a foothold in our lives. It's a, uh, it's a simple order of priority that we should be going. Number one, God. Number two, family. And number three, everything else, right? But culture today has changed that order. They've gone on and they've made it that, number one, the most important thing is myself. Number two, most important thing is me. And number three, everything else. It doesn't matter. Me, myself, everything else. It's gotten to the point now where it's even become not only sociably acceptable, but it's celebrated when women kill their babies so that they can further their career. I'm sorry, not women, birthing people. And we just got probably kicked off of Facebook, but that's okay. <laughs> it's completely acceptable to kill a baby in their womb just to further their career. 
just so that they can be better at sports. If that's not backwards thinking, I really don't know what it is. You see, understanding contemporary idols can help us understand why they prove to be such a powerful temptation. See, the, the issue with these contemporary idols that we find ourselves worshiping is they're sneaky because they don't seem bad right off the rip, right? The, the really bad idols are, are easy to spot. Addictions, drugs, greed, sex. These idols that we put in our lives, they're easy to see because you can say, oh, okay, well, that's kind of bad. But the ones that seem like they're good aren't always the easiest to spot. And they're sneaky. They're they're like a ninja. They just sneak right up on you, and before you even know it, you're dead. You're dead worshiping your idols. Even Abraham manages to turn a calling from God into an idol. As we read in uh, Genesis 15, God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will become my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, uh, look towards heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, I am, oops, sorry, back up, don't go there yet, stop right there. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteous. So Abraham is, is all worked up because he's an old man, right? He's like old, he's like 80 years old and hasn't had a kid yet, and he's worried about who he's going to pass everything down to. But God says, don't you worry about that. I got you. You're going to have a son of your own. And uh, shortly after that, boy, does Abraham really mess that up pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, as I said, Abraham and Sarah were 80 plus years old and they waited and kept trying and kept trying and trying and nothing would happen. And they took matters into their own hand. How many of you know that Sarah goes to Abraham and says, look, I'm old. I can't bear a child take my servant, and she'll bury your child, right? Definitely not the way that that's supposed to work. Um, The fact is, Abraham was so focused on having a son that he tuned out the Lord completely. This entire time, he couldn't hear the Lord speaking to him. And uh, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but I'm pretty sure that God would not have told Abraham it was a good idea to go have uh, relations with Sarah's servant just to fulfill his promise, right? But ultimately, Abraham learns his lesson. Uh, Fast forward a couple chapters, Sarah has an actual son, Isaac, and Abraham loves him, and he raises Isaac, and poor old Ishmael gets kind of thrown off to the side, but God honors him as well in his own way. Ishmael was the uh, son that Sarah's servant had. So Abraham learns his lesson, and ultimately he doesn't make that same mistake twice. We read later in uh, Genesis 21, 13, uh, after, uh, you know, Isaac's been alive a few years, they say he's probably uh, 11, 12, kind of like a pre-pubescent, still probably like annoying and back talks a lot, but, uh, you know, still looks up to his father. Uh, Abraham, uh, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Morah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy uh, will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand to the fire and the knife. So they both, uh, so they both went together. So they, um, 
him and Isaac go to the place that God showed them to worship God. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So Abraham would have been, or not, Isaac would have been very well-versed in how to perform a burnt offering. So you got to think here for a second. Isaac is starting to get really nervous. He's like, uh, dad, where's the offering at? And Abraham calms him and he says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. When they came to the place of God, which he had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, the son that he loved. But then the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You see, in this verse, it's, it's stated that God knows that Abraham loved Isaac. However, Abraham knew that if he was disobedient to God and put Isaac ahead of the Lord, that he would be fallen to idolatry. I can relate very hard to how Abraham probably felt through this whole story. Um, Many of you know, uh, my wife and I, we've been trying to have a kid for close to three years now. And thank the Lord, we're having one, right? But that was three really hard years of wondering what's wrong with me. What's going on? And and I'll tell you this. I was driving home from work at FedEx one day, and God made a promise to me. He said, Corey, you will have a child. Just be patient. And that that was probably two years ago. And we're still sitting there waiting for it to happen, waiting for it to happen. It never did. It never did. It never did. And then, praise God, in his timing, we're having a kid. And now I'm terrified. (laughs) Even though that our prayer was finally answered, we can't let that child, our baby daughter, be the most important thing in our life. About three weeks ago, I was having a conversation uh, with a friend at work. Uh, You know, he was talking about he went to a church and um, he was a little bit disappointed because he was supposed to get saved that day and he didn't. So his conversation with him, like, well, what do you mean? Like, you can get saved not at church. Like, you can get saved right now. He's like, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus and and all this, but I was supposed to be baptized so that I would be saved. So I continued to explain to him the difference that, you know, baptism and salvation are, are different, right? Your baptism is supposed to be a representation of your salvation. And he looks at me, he's so excited. He goes, so you mean I'm saved? And I'm like, yeah, you're saved. You admitted to me that you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord. That's bases covered, fire insurance granted. It would be good if you got baptized. And he goes, man, that's so awesome. I'm, I'll have to, you know, find some way to, to set that up. And I'm like, dude, baptism, it's, it's special, but it's not special. Come, come to church. I'll baptize you on Sunday. Well, <laughs> I forgot that that was supposed to be the Sunday of our baby shower. Which, uh, thank you everybody very much. The amount of love that this baby girl has already received is, is absolutely unbelievable. Um, so I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who was there. Um, but I had a problem now. I just promised my friend that I'd baptize him on the Sunday that I'm supposed to be at a baby shower setting stuff up. And I now had to tell my very beautiful, my very wise, caring hormonal wife (laughs) that uh, I would be absent for a little bit of time at this baby shower so I could baptize my friend. And uh, she gave me the most amazing response. She looks at me and she says, 
as much as I love you for doing this, how are you going to have time to do all of it? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that answer, right? I was expecting some yelling and some screaming and, and everything. But you see, we're equally yoked, so she understands too that this baby girl, while it is going to be completely life-changing, we can't let it become the most important thing in our lives. We still have to honor God with everything that we do. The bottom line is we need to be honest with ourselves where we are in the Lord currently, not where we were at one point in time. It doesn't matter if three years ago that there was absolute revival in your life. Take a look at where you are now. Yeah, well, work got busy, I had to hit some deadlines, and this, that happened, and next thing you know, it's three weeks and you haven't been to church a single one, or it's been three months and you haven't been to church a single week. If your blessing is pulling you away from God, that really isn't a blessing that you received. You get a new house, but you get too busy with that house and you get pulled away doing projects every Sunday. Um, your job, the, the uh, promotion you got pulls you away and you have to work on sending now all of a sudden. The Browns all of a sudden decided to be a good football team and, and now I have to watch them. <laughs> That's a blessing in itself. That explains, that explains why it's so hot right now because it's cold somewhere else where it's not supposed to be. <laughs> Not all good things are blessings from God. As a matter of fact, if that good thing is pushing you away from God, not pulling you towards him, it's probably not a blessing you're looking for. After all, the devil himself offered Adam and Eve a wonderful thing. You certainly won't die. Your eyes will be open and you'll be wise just like God. Wisdom, that sounds like a pretty awesome thing, right? But little did they know the consequences of their idolatry. We tell ourselves it's okay to take the little things in life. It's okay to put work ahead of us and everything else. After all, I have to take care of my family. I have to save a little bit. I got to be able to give money to the church. But Jesus tells us that the exact opposite is true in Luke 16. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, we have to choose, will I either serve God or serve the things of this world? 1 Corinthians tells us that whatever we do, we're supposed to do it all for the glory of God. Anything short of that and whatever we're doing becomes the idol that's taken hold of our life. You see, humans have this whole idea so messed up that we even take the things that God himself tells us to make and we turn those things into idols. If you have your Bibles, flip over into Numbers 21. Um, So again, as most of the stories in the Old Testament start, the Israelis were in some trouble. They were disobedient disobeying God, making him angry. Um, And the people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Hate, Hate is a strong word, but they went a little bit further. They said they loathe this manna that you're giving us to eat right now. As a response... Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, as if snakes weren't bad enough. These were fiery snakes, the worst kinds of snakes, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and leave. Sometime later, the 
people, Israeli people, they forget the lesson that they just learned and they turn back to their old ways. They're complaining about the bread, they're complaining about the water. And 2 Kings 17 tells us that they even were worshiping carved images that they make. We pick up the story in 2 Kings 18 when uh, Hezekiah, I always pick these really hard names to say, and then I don't get enough practice saying them, and I think I get them, and then I know I don't get them. Anyway, um, we, we pick it up in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, the king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Azza, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old, and when he began to reign, he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. So he's ruling, and the people are um, engaged in this idol worship, like some pretty hardcore idol worship. And Hezekiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke it into pieces. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until the days of the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. So what was going on here? This bronze serpent that God himself instructed Moses to create to save the people from the fiery snakes that he sent because the people were worshiping their idols and complaining about the bread, Hezekiah breaks it because the people were worshiping the very thing that God told them to make. Yeah, I, I got to be 100% honest with you, you know, with the, the kind of the bombshell that was dropped on everybody this morning. The idea of becoming affiliated with the chapel became an idol in my life. This idea of being able to stay here, being able to have a good budget, be able to you know, have some awesome sound equipment stuff, I started looking forward to that more than I looked forward to God himself, to actually worshiping the true king. And church, for that, I'm sorry. We find out that just like the people of Israel, people, there's, there's churches everywhere who make the same mistake. Just like Israel tried to replace God with the bronze serpent that God himself commanded them to make, many people are replacing God with a version that they made themselves. This form of idolatry whose growth is fostered by church cultures that drift further and further away from sound biblical teaching. Paul warns us about these cultures in 2 Timothy. He says, for a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. So what happens? These churches, to a large degree, completely forsake the God who is revealed to us in Scripture, and they shape them into a kinder and a gentler God. They take all of the stories of God being righteous and God's fury and they say, oh, it's okay. I like to remind people when when they say, oh, what would Jesus do? I like to remind them that it's very possible that Jesus would have flipped this table over at any given minute, right? While we do serve a God of grace, we also serve a God of justice, but these people, they take this God of justice and they shape him into this kinder and gentler God. A God who is much more infinitely tolerant of many sinful lifestyles without placing an ounce of guilt or conviction or conviction, or conviction on anyone's shoulders. The lesson to learn from this is that when we replace the character of God with the characteristics that we want him to have, Characteristics that excuse our habits and our desires that are not harmonious with Scripture, we are essentially worshiping ourselves, making us God of our life. And that's no bueno. 
I'm going to ask if Jen and Christy, if you guys would come up as I kind of begin to wrap this whole thing up here. The bottom line is this. The things of this world will never satisfy the human heart. They were never meant to. The human heart has this bottomless pit in it that we want, we will always going to want more. I'm going to want more bougie sunglasses. I have the iPhone 25Q and the 26X comes out and I have to have that iPhone 26X even though they just take the camera from here and they put it here. I have to have the latest and greatest model of car. I have to have a house with more rooms in it. Name it and you're going to want it. And if you get it, you're going to want something that's better of it. That's just the human condition. But we see the sinful things of this world would deceive us and ultimately lead to our death. The good things in this world, they are gifts from God. They truly are. We are made, we are allowed to enjoy the fine things of lives. But we're meant to enjoy them with a thankful heart and in submission to God. When that gift that God gives us replaces the giver or the creator replaces the, I'm sorry, when the created replaces the creator in our lives, we have fallen into the trap of idolatry. There's not a single idol in this world that can infuse our lives with meaning or worth or that can give us eternal hope. You see, we were created in God's image and we're designed to worship and glorify him alone as he is the only one worthy of our worship. Scripture tells us that God has placed eternity in man's heart and a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way to fulfill this lifelong uh, longing for eternal life. All of our idolatrous pursuits will leave us empty, unsatisfied, and ultimately on that broad road that Jesus talks about, that most people are going to take, that leads us only to destruction. So I want to ask you this today. And... uh, not something that's easy to do because the idea of conviction is not an easy thing to deal with. But I want us to to take a look at our lives. Take a look at how we would go about our normal day and sit there and, and take account of everything we do. And if God told you tomorrow to get rid of that, would you be willing to get rid of it? It's funny, uh, Facebook went down for six hours last weekend and the entire world lost its mind. They didn't know what to do. What am I supposed to do without Facebook? And that's just, it's a pretty big example of how big of an idol these little things. Facebook can be great. Facebook is allowing me to, I don't possibly, I know there's people in India who watch our stream from time to time. Facebook allows us here to have a reach to places where we otherwise would never be able to do. But I can't let that become an idol in my life. I can't sit here and say that Facebook is the most important thing in the world. No, God's the most important thing in the world. So I just want to take a, a moment when they, when they sing this song just to kind of examine our lives and decide... What have we put in front of God? And it can be a painful thing because it can be good things that we put up there, right? It can be our family. It can be our goals. It can be our jobs. It can be our ambitions. But ultimately, if we're living our lives going after these things that we've created and not worshiping the creator, it's going to lead to our destruction. So I just ask you, Heavenly Father God, as we just turn and we focus our minds onto you, I just ask that people here would just allow your conviction just to prick their hearts just for a moment. 
and help uproot some of these roadblocks, some of these idols that we allow to get in our way of truly worshiping you, Lord. God, we're sorry for putting these things in front of you. And we just ask that you would just help us turn ourselves back to you and put our focus on you. altar is open if you need prayer if you want to talk to somebody about who this Jesus guy is that we keep talking about today is the day that you can receive an eternal salvation today is the day that you can finally quench that thirst in your heart for that eternal life so I just want to offer this altar is open There are plenty of people here who would love to pray with you. There are plenty of people here who would love to talk with you. And quite honestly, just be your friend today. So this altar is open. I'm going to go ahead and pray and we'll dismiss. Uh, But please, if you would like prayer, come forward, receive prayer. Um, Yeah. Heavenly Father God, we just thank you so much for being the Lord of our lives. We thank you for having dominion over us, God. And Lord, we thank you for being the creator. God, we're sorry for taking the things that you've created and putting them over top of you. I just pray that your spirit would just come through and just help guide us through the world today, through the culture today that accepts this idea of idolatry and help us just focus on you, Lord. And God, if there's anybody who is listening today who may not have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that you would just bring them in. 
bring them in closer, draw them in closer, show them that they are your children. Lord, we lift you up. We praise you. We give you all the thanks and all the glory. It's in your son Jesus' most precious Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, At this time, we're all dismissed, and uh, we'll see everybody again next week. Your prayer.